The internet, by definition, is really good at connecting things. And those connections build communities. And often those communities help each other out. On the internet, startups can raise funds from total strangers. Neighbors can share yard equipment or recommend babysitters from blocks apart. When Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, the internet helped thousands of volunteers coordinate rescue missions in boats across dozens of flooded neighborhoods and towns. So what if we could harness that power, the internet's ability to connect, and use it to take on one of the biggest killers in the world? That's the mission of Tony Blau. He spent almost 30 years as a doctor and a researcher. But now, at age 57, he is taking on a new project, a startup that connects cancer patients, data about their bodies, and doctors all over the world to take on cancer and help people get better. From GeekWire.com in Seattle, I'm Claire McGrain. Welcome to Health Tech, the podcast where we take you to the cutting edge of digital health. Stay with us. GeekWire's Health Tech podcast is brought to you by Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group, leveraging best-in-class digital tools to relentlessly reimagine health and healthcare. Follow them on Twitter at ProvInnovation. That's twitter.com slash P-R-O-V innovation. Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group, making it easier, more collaborative, and more rewarding to take charge of your health. Before we get into this episode, I have an announcement. We're going to be hosting our second Health Tech Live show on Tuesday, September 19th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We'll be talking with Mark Long. He used to lead an internal startup at Amazon, and he's also a veteran of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He's now the Senior Vice President of Digital Innovation at Providence St. Joseph Health. That means he oversees the healthcare system's internal innovations group, including new approaches to telemedicine and things like virtual house calls. Very cool stuff. Again, the live broadcast is on Tuesday, September 19th at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash geekwire. Hope to see you there. And for now, on with the show. Tony has done research at the University of Washington for 27 years. And in that time, he studied a lot of stuff, but he focused on stem cell research, and specifically stem cell treatments for cancer. That's actually why Tony moved to Seattle back in the 90s. Stem cell treatments were pioneered at Seattle's Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. Tony met his wife, Sabil, here as well. She came to Seattle to study medicine. She's an oncologist, so she works with cancer patients every day. And comparing his work to Sabil's, Tony realized cancer patients are missing out on technology and science he uses all the time in his lab. I used to tell people that I would know more about what's going on in a mouse in my lab than my wife would know about what's going on in her patients because her ability to characterize things was just so much greater in the lab. One of the most important technologies Tony uses is next-generation sequencing. This basically takes a cell, in this case a cancer cell, and breaks down all of its genetic information. That's a ton of data, and it basically gives doctors or researchers a view of what's happening inside someone's cells. What are the differences on a genetic level that separate a tumor from the normal tissue of a patient who has cancer? And could those changes allow you to understand what treatments might be more effective for that patient? So essentially what it enables is, I think, a parts list of, of 
most of what's important in, in that patient's cancer. Uh, the, the problem is that our ability to generate data vastly exceeds our ability to understand what it means. So when Tony is running an experiment on a few dozen mice, he can take the time to understand the data on every mouse's cancer and compare it to all the other mice and all the data he logged in other similar experiments. If you could do that for a human cancer patient, you could predict what treatments would work for them. That general concept is called personalized medicine, and it is a hot topic in cancer right now. But the reality is oncologists and other doctors don't have the luxuries that Tony has in his lab. They don't have the time or expertise to do that kind of analysis for every patient. And unlike Tony's set of mice, they don't have data on how other people reacted to treatments. So they don't have anything to compare it to. So we then formed something called the Center for Cancer Innovation that aims to try to fill that gap uh, between what's possible to characterize and what's actually interpretable. The problem that we're trying to address is that a million patients with cancer in the United States receive chemotherapy every year, and they respond to treatment or they don't. But collectively, we learn almost nothing from those experiences. The knowledge that's captured from those million experiences is lost. And so what we're trying to do is create a forum where every cancer patient's experience contributes to an ever-growing body of knowledge that makes us progressively smarter about how cancer works. To try and interpret all that data, Tony essentially turned to crowdsourcing. But instead of drawing on the skills of, say, strangers on Reddit, he would get input from cancer doctors, researchers, and patients around the world. For his first study, he decided to focus on triple negative breast cancer. This is an aggressive, deadly form of cancer, and we know very little about it or how it works. It's unfortunately an incurable problem. Women with triple negative breast cancer and their doctors shared samples of their tumors with Tony's team. The researchers then used next-generation sequencing to extract billions of data points on every single one of those tumors. And then we place the information on the cloud, make it accessible to experts from around the world who look at it, try to help us understand it to the best of our primitive abilities, and then we synthesize that information into a report that goes back to the patient and her oncologist. One of the really encouraging, uh, heartening aspects of that experience has been and continues to be that we often, you know, we're always swimming in data from every patient. We have way more data than we can possibly interpret. But oftentimes, we'll find a change in a gene, a mutation in that patient's tumor that we think may be important to their tumor, but we don't know, and and nobody really knows. And in those cases, we've taken to contacting the world's experts about that specific question. Shoot them an email. It's easy to find out who are the world's experts. And what we found is uniformly, in dozens of cases, the experts tell us everything that we ask for. Sometimes they'll refer us to another colleague who may be better positioned to answer the question, uh, but never has an expert told us that they can't tell us an answer because of a pending patent application or a pending paper. They always tell us everything in, in really this full throttle effort to bring every bit of expertise to bear on helping this person who's facing this very difficult problem. So in a nutshell, Tony is studying crowdsourcing of experts and other patients as a way to help patients find the best treatment for them. At the same time, he's building up a database of patients' health data in the hope that that information can be used to help other patients farther down the line. Tony was elbow deep in this world of cancer data, 
busy trying to help other people find solutions to their disease. But a few years ago, that changed. Out of the blue, about two and a half years ago, I developed some hip pain and I got an x-ray and it turned out that I found out that I myself have myeloma, this form of blood cancer. It is kind of remarkable to think of how that dovetailed with our experience with the breast cancer patients, uh, how I was able to avail myself of the same capabilities we were applying to our breast cancer patients. So getting lots of biopsies of my tumor, doing tons of sequencing, putting it on the cloud, making it accessible to experts. And so from the perspective of a patient, I became, uh, you know, even more fervently convinced that this is the right approach. This is exactly what I, uh, as a patient, want, is to have a detailed characterization of what's going on and then access to uh, the very best expertise and advice that the world can provide. Tony had two stem cell transplants, and thankfully they worked. He's now in complete remission. But when he was going through treatment, he started thinking more and more about building something like the platform he had been studying. He knew he couldn't do it as a research project. There just wasn't the funding for something on that scale, and it would take too long in academia. So he decided to found a startup. And I really found it all for cure during uh, some of the more intensive bits of treatment that I had for my myeloma. So it was around that time that I was receiving those stem cell transplants that I really, I had time off of my regular job. I would feel well, relatively well some days, and I really focused on getting All for Cure up and running. All for Cure. It's an incredibly optimistic name, and Tony is optimistic about what it can do. We'll learn more about his vision for All for Cure after this quick break. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is brought to you by Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group, helping to shift the industry from sick care to health care. Providence St. Joseph Health empowers people to take a greater role in managing and improving their health. Building on Providence's history as a disruptor, the Digital and Innovation Group leverages best-in-class digital tools to reimagine a better consumer experience in healthcare. Building healthier communities requires meaningful and personalized relationships that make Providence St. Joseph Health a trusted partner in people's lives. Follow the Digital and Innovation Group on Twitter at Prov Innovation. That's twitter.com slash P-R-O-V innovation. Now back to the show. Welcome back. When we left Tony, he had decided to found a startup after 30 years as a researcher and with very little experience in the startup world. Tony has been building the All for Cure platform and the business behind it for the past two years, and he thinks it could be even bigger and more effective than his prototype, that breast cancer study. So All for Cure really is built on that idea of having a patient who's willing to open him or herself and their medical history up to the world, the world of experts, the world of other patients, clinical doctors, researchers, anyone who might have information that could be helpful to them. Uh, collecting that information and trying to aggregate it around the, the real-life experience of a patient with cancer uh, in the hopes that the knowledge that's gained for that one patient may be helpful to other patients who are facing similar problems. For now, All for Cure is focusing on patients with myeloma, the kind of blood cancer that Tony had. As he knows firsthand, the treatments for myeloma have gotten a lot better in the past few years. It used to basically be a death sentence. But now there are lots of options for myeloma patients, and they need help figuring out which one is going to work best. 
The platform has about 140 members so far. Almost two dozen of those are doctors, six are researchers, and about 100 are patients with myeloma, like Tony. Here's how it works. So myeloma patients will register on our website, and then they'll send us their medical records. And from the medical records, we extract information to create each patient's personalized dashboard that includes a graph that depicts all of their treatments and the corresponding responses, so a visualization of their experience with cancer. By the way, there's no charge to the patients for that, uh, that process at all. And as you might imagine, you know, anyone who's newly diagnosed with this problem will have, you know, immediately a million questions come to mind. And many of those questions will be the same from one patient to the next. Many of the issues that they're facing will be common to many other patients. But every patient uh, will also have issues that are, that are much less commonly shared with other patients. And so you'll have this bulk of information that, that's probably common to many patients, but you could imagine as we get more and more patients on the platform, every new patient will, will share a lot of that information, but they will also bring their own unique issues. So we'll probably develop automated ways of, of, of sharing the common information and then adding to that with every new patient's unique features so that the body of knowledge gets progressively better and more encompassing as we enroll more patients. For all the techies out there that are curious, All for Cure's data is stored in a HIPAA-secure section of AWS, Amazon's cloud computing service. Getting all that data in one place solves one of the problems Tony wants to tackle, learning more about cancer overall. That huge database could teach us so much about how myeloma works and the role different parts of a cell play in the disease. But what about individual patients who have questions or concerns about treatment? We also have a discussion panel where every other participant can comment on that specific patient's issue. So a patient that's on that platform might complain of a side effect, or they might uh, ask a question, or their doctor may ask a question that would appear on their dashboard. And we already have many examples uh, in which a patient's doctor has asked a question about a treatment and uh, and then one of our myeloma experts, uh, one of them being uh, Ken Anderson at Harvard, uh, let us know about a drug that we would not have known about otherwise. Uh, by posting that information on that patient's dashboard, he gave a suggestion that uh, we would not have known to even think about for that patient. And, and then, of course, in turn, that same suggestion could be applicable to other patients that, that show up on our platform. Tony says this individualized approach is what sets All for Cure apart from other projects. Like I mentioned, personalized medicine is a hot topic right now. But Tony says a lot of the data going into it is very general. And importantly, the patients often aren't involved with the studies. The data is just taken from their health records. You know, there are many different places that are trying to aggregate information across hundreds of thousands of patients. That's, you know, everybody in healthcare is trying to aggregate data across patients. And they're doing this by and large by going to the medical records, trying to find patients with certain features, and then pulling out data from the medical records that allows you to get a sense of, okay, here's this group of patients with these features that got this treatment and they had this response. And uh, I feel that it's very likely that important insights will come from that type of effort. What All for Cure is providing is a much more granular view of what's going on in the patient. 
you know, you might be surprised uh, to know that the medical records don't always contain accurate information. They often have incomplete, you know, invariably have incomplete information and often have internally contradictory information. So by sending us their medical records, and a lot of times medical records from different oncology offices when the patient's been seen by different places, we're pulling all of that information together to create a, that patient's dashboard. And we go through the hard work of figuring out, you know, when the medical record says the patient got these treatments uh, at this time, we're trying to nail that down to, okay, this patient received this dose of this drug on this day. And while IV medicines are often well-documented in the medical record, not always, but often, oral medicines are dismally documented in the medical record. Nobody's recording that stuff. And so by partnering directly with the patients, we have an ability, I think, to resolve those kinds of questions about what really happened. And, if, and, and sometimes if it's been long enough ago, the patient won't even remember. But we have the very best depiction of a patient's experience with cancer as one can achieve. So here's what Tony has. A big idea? Check. Passion and drive? Check. A plan to make it happen? Also check. Now all Tony needs to become a fully-fledged entrepreneur is to run a successful startup, which, of course, is harder than it sounds. You know, I've been a professor for 27 years. Uh, I've never done a startup before. And I decided to, to do All for Cure as a, as a for-profit corporation because I really believe that that's what's going to be required to make this a success. And during the, the establishment of All for Cure, I uh, read a lot about startups. And, I, you know, I'm trying to follow the lean startup philosophy as closely uh, as I can. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, doing startups, of course, uh, being 57 years old now, if it had been in my blood, I probably would have started 30 years ago. But I think uh, it's not necessarily the idea of creating a, a successful startup that is the driver for me. What the driver for me is, is that I believe that this is the way that we can really make fundamental advances uh, in moving cancer research and treatment forward. I think that All for Cure is going to be an incredibly important component of making a real difference for uh, thousands and eventually millions of cancer patients. Tony is thinking about being agile. He's thinking about his team. And he's thinking about funding. He knows there's no way to build All for Cure through philanthropy or academic grants. But he also doesn't want to jump feet first into venture funding or angel investments. Instead, he's taking an eclectic approach and using a few different funding sources to get All for Cure off the ground. So far, we funded this just from uh, my wife, Sabelle, and my bank account. Uh, and, uh, but we're launching a Kickstarter campaign in which uh, we're going to try to get funding for this from the crowd. Uh, so I'm seeking, just, just to be clear, I'm, try, I'm seeking initially non-dilutive uh, sources of funding. So our Kickstarter campaign is one thing, and that's launching uh, uh, very soon. Uh, the second thing that we're doing is uh, approaching uh, patient advocacy groups. Uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is doing an awful lot of work in myeloma, and we may be uh, able to get some funding from them to help launch launch us and get us 
to, to larger numbers of patients. We'd like to get up to 500 patients as quickly as we can, and that's what we're hoping to support with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society combined with the Kickstarter campaign, combined with a grant for a small business grant to the NIH. In addition, in, and actually the, the longer-term revenue model for All for Cure is through sales of the data that we accumulate to pharmaceutical companies. You know, pharmaceutical companies are very interested in knowing how their drugs are being used. Pharmaceutical companies are also uh, increasingly required to do phase four monitoring. So after the drug's approved, trying to figure out how it's actually being used in in the real world and what toxicities might might be there when a drug stopped. Why is it stopped? Is it stopped because it's no longer working or because it's uh, you know causing a toxicity that that doesn't allow it to be continued? So much of oncology is directed now toward value based care. So giving a patient a drug. Uh, isn't enough. You have to show that it actually helped them, and that's sadly harder than than you would like for it to be. Uh, I think here we, by appending treatments with responses, aggregating that information, it allows the entire ecosystem to be smarter about how specific drugs are applied in specific patients. Okay, it's time for the fix. This is the segment where we ask our guests about the biggest problem they see in health and what could be done to fix it. It could be a frustration from their professional work or one that they encountered in their personal lives. There's just one rule. It can't be something that they're already working on. You know, I would say that the biggest problem that I see is the enormous gap between people who are really who deeply believe in science, are committed to trying to really understand things, uh, and, and are driven by facts and science versus what may be a larger population of people in our country who just don't have that strict adherence to or that strict belief or that strict grounding in, in science. And there's a lot of suspicion among, you know, much of our population about, you know, very clear scientific facts. And uh, I think that gap uh, threatens us not only in healthcare, but it threatens our existence in many, many different ways. And I think there is desperately little being done to fill that gap. I think people, you know, many people that are listening to this podcast will probably view this other large population of people with some perhaps disdain, and I think that's that can't be the right attitude. I grew up in Ohio, in southern Ohio, uh, where, you know, many of my, uh, uh, or most of my classmates, former classmates, were Trump supporters, and I know many of them are very suspicious of evolution, very suspicious about, you know, anything that might threaten their religious beliefs, all of that stuff. Yet I also know that they're very good people. And so I think when you write a scientific documentary about something in healthcare, something about climate change, whatever, you're almost invariably speaking to the people that are already convinced. And who's trying to really seriously bridge that gap to get you know, to to try to have some influence 
on the, on the very large number of people who just don't believe in this stuff. I know from my own experience how easy it is to be to have a worldview that's entirely influenced by everybody else that you know. And if everybody's thinking the same thing, it's rare to break out of that mindset. So I think, you know, the smart people that are listening to this podcast, it would be helpful to have a, a deeper effort to try to reach that large population of people rather than just brushing them off. And in healthcare, do you see that kind of skepticism of science from patients? Sure, absolutely. I mean, there are Facebook groups for myeloma patients. And uh, there was a Facebook post uh, three days ago by a myeloma patient who had a list of 27 supplements and herbs that he thought were great treatments for myeloma. And there were, you know, a lot of patients that responded to that post saying, you know, this sounds great. I'll do this. I'll do that. I posted kind of not very popularly. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that you know, there's, there just seems to be no scientific basis for any of this stuff. And I got a few snarky comments in response, you know, well, you know, it's a person's right to try what they want to try, <clears throat> which, of course, it is. But the idea that we should base uh, what we do on rational thought uh, rather than on emotion. And in the context of, you know, myeloma or cancer in general, literally your life depends on that. And, and just trying to bring down the level of suspicion among people that science is somehow bad. Uh, and, you know, I can't even imagine where that came from <clears throat> uh, to... Uh, more of a welcoming and, and a genuine effort to make science something that 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 people welcome uh, rather than feel suspicious of it is an important thing in, in healthcare specifically and, and in our society generally. I think, Dr. Tony Blau, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. Dr. Tony Blaub still does research at the University of Washington's hematology department, and he's the co-founder of All for Cure with his wife, Sibyl. You can learn more about All for Cure at allforcure.com. That's all the number four cure.com. You've been listening to Health Tech, a GeekWire podcast about the cutting edge of digital health. Sponsored by Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group. Find more episodes at geekwire.com slash health tech and subscribe through iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm Claire McGrain. Thanks for listening. Uh, there are some good sides to having cancer. A couple of bright sides. One is that you that people instantly uh, begin to think that you are, you know, a saint. So you get so you get this in, you get this almost immediate elevation to near sainthood status. No matter what you do, it seems.